everyone, and welcome to the Screen Strong Families podcast, bringing you the best solutions for parents who are serious about eliminating screen conflicts in their home. This is Melanie Hempy, and I am so glad you are here today. I hope you're having a great day, and I just want to welcome everyone. If you are a new friend, we are so glad you found us. Thank the friend that told you about this podcast. And speaking of new friends, our guest today is a new friend. And before we get started, I just have this funny story. I was on a call with a mom when I got the first text from a friend about the article on May 9th. So I was literally on a phone call with a mom who was uh, kind of giving me her story and her angst around what she was going to do about her daughter's phone decision when I get this link. And the title of the article on May 9th, it was in the Washington Post. And it said, meet the parents who refuse to give their kids smartphones. The vast majority of teens and tweens today have smartphones and these parents are saying no. So my interest was piqued, but I had to finish the conversation I had with this mom. And we went on to talk a little more about her decision. And as I was talking to her, I said, well, you know that the phone companies don't allow, you know, teenagers or 10 year olds to go in the phone uh, store and, (laughs) and buy phones because there's this little law around contracts and you have to have, you know, you have to be 18 before you can have a smartphone contract. And this mom was just like, wow, what a great idea. And we both decided, wouldn't it be great if just the whole world uh, would follow that rule and not get smartphones for our kids until they could? And I told her, I said, you know, I have a rule in my house that I will never buy a smartphone for one of my children, that they would have to get it when they were either old enough or, you know, and then had, of course, enough money to pay for the bill. And I thought, that has always been our stand or not always been our stand, but after we had all the issues with our oldest son, that became our stand with our daughter and then with our other two kids. And so she thought that was a super great idea. So we hung up and I was dying, of course, to get to this article because when I read the title, meet the parents who refuse to give their kids smartphones, I was just enamored, right? So I couldn't wait to meet those parents. So anyway, I opened um, the article and I started reading it. And the first line says, for Adriana Stacy, it is very simple. I'll never buy a smartphone for any of my children. So I fell in love with this mom right away, just right at that first sentence. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've never met her, but I love her. And I kept reading and I was so excited to hear what um, everyone in this article had to say. And so I got so excited that I private messaged Dr. Stacy. And I just wanted to meet her. And so I knew that you all would really want to meet her too. So let's meet her right now. Our guest today is Dr. Adriana Stacy, And um, she is a psychiatrist. And Dr. Stacy, we just want to welcome you with the biggest welcome today. We are so excited to have you on the show. Please tell us just a little bit about yourself. You bet, Melanie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to um, talk with your guests today and talk about, you know, our family and my um, professional work as well. So I'm a psychiatrist Mm -hmm. and I'm a general psychiatrist, which means I went to medical school. I did a residency learning how to specialize in treatment of mental health conditions. And I treat kids for the whole and adults for the whole 
age range. So my youngest patient is around six and my oldest patient's 82. And so I treat people mm. throughout their, their life. Outside of that, I'm a mom. I have four kids. I have an almost 16 year old daughter. I have twins that are 12 and a nine year old. Well, this is why we love you so much already. And we're just meeting you. I mean, I can't believe it because we have four kids too and we have twins and it's just so fun to meet another mom who is in the trenches. But I am so intrigued with your your background and just I want to hear and I want our listeners to hear um, more about how you kind of got into this issue. Obviously, you're very screen strong <laughs> and sure. I'm just really curious to find out. So why don't we just talk about that just for a second? Just like how did this, was it just through your practice? Sure. So I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about our family's story. So, you know, smartphones kind of became a thing when our oldest was about two. So my husband and I remember got our first smartphone when our oldest was two, which would have been around 2008. And so didn't think anything of it. It was a new thing then. When our oldest was really small, you know, there it wasn't like it is now where kids were on phones a lot. So fast forward a few years, our twins were around two years old. And we were going on a long road trip, about 15 hours in the car. And the day before I was out shopping and I saw some, a sale at a store for iPad minis. So like the small iPads yeah. that just come out and they were on, on sale. Yeah. And so I thought, oh, that'd be a great idea. I'll put some educational games on there or download some TV shows. You know, I bought the little, um, like the rubber cases, they can hold them in. And so we did that and we loaded them up with stuff and we got in the car and that 15 hour road trip was great. They were so into those iPad minis. Yeah. So we get to our destination. And so of course we take them away because here we are at the beach and let's have a vacation um, at the beach. Well, those twins were not having it. So they were losing their mind that they couldn't have those devices anymore. So yeah. my husband, who's a physician as well, we just, it's something sort of went off in our brain. Like this doesn't seem good that when you take these away from them, they get this mad. Yeah. So we kind of threw them in the, in the suitcase. And over the week we did hear quite a bit from these little twins about where are the iPads, where are the iPads? And so on the way home, we did not let them have them. And when we got home, we put them in a drawer and kind of, that was it. Mm -hmm. Um, because mm -hmm. we saw what it was doing to them as far as we didn't hear a peep from them for 15 hours. Wow. And then when we took them away, it was a nightmare. And so that's kind of what started us thinking about this, this, there's something not, not right here. Mm -hmm. So um, then fast forward a few years later and, you know, iPhones or, you know, smartphones in general have become so mainstream. I've, I started seeing this in younger and younger and kids, younger and younger kids in mm -hmm. my practice. And so, you know, I do not have a single patient that doesn't struggle with some mental health consequence from a smartphone. Now that might not be the main oh. reason they're seeing me, but more than half likely that is what triggered the reason they're having to see me. So anxiety, acquired ADHD, which is um, mm -hmm. Dr. John Rady at Harvard coined this term, acquired ADHD, yes. where, you know, brains are lighting up like a Christmas tree, you know, from using these devices. Yeah. Explain that. Explain that acquired ADHD. We've talked about that on the show here before with um, Tom Kirsting. He talks about that in his book, but just 
explain that a little bit for people who who might have missed that because ADHD okay, so, typically isn't acquired. Right. It's- so ADHD is a neurodevelopmental disorder. Okay. So um, it is a sort of a, a variation in the way that the brain is formed. And mm-hmm. we think it has to do with dopamine pathways, which is why the medications we use to treat that work to regulate dopamine pathways. And dopamine is a neurochemical in the brain that mm-hmm. um, is responsible for reward. And so, um, So there are people that, you know, when you have ADHD, you're born with ADHD. It's the way that your brain works. And so that's why you'll see that it's very familial. It runs in families. Mm. Um, Now, acquired ADHD is a kid who maybe for the first 12 years of their life did great. They could focus. Mm -hmm. They could concentrate. They did well in school. They could do their chores. I mean, you you can fill in the blank. Then all of a sudden they get a tablet or a smartphone or a device of some sort and they um, use it so much that the dopamine pathways in their brain get dysregulated and they can't focus, they can't pay attention, you know, and, you know, there was a study they did down in Texas about just having the phone on your desk while you're trying to take a test makes Mm -hmm. you perform more poorly. So Mm -hmm. it's this inability to pay attention because of the dopamine hit that that device gives you. And so, you know, I have so many people that come into my office now, I think I have ADHD, then we start talking about their phones. Let's look at your screen time. Oh, it's nine and a half hours a day. Mm -hmm. Well, we're not going to treat you with medication until we look at your smartphone use and try to get that down. And a lot of people have significant improvements in their ability to focus, maintain their attention, get tasks done if they will just put their phone away. Yeah. And I, I just think that in, in our line of work with all the families that we interface with, there's so many kids that have this acquired ADHD. And I, I know it's a very sensitive subject. ADHD in general is somewhat of a sensitive subject out there in the parent world. Right. Cause you. Right. And I have, I have two, two of my four children have ADHD. Um, you know, and I had the benefit of being a psychiatrist, so I could see it from the beginning, mm. but I could see that explode when they would use a device. I mean, it's unbelievable. Interestingly, there's a recent um, treatment for ADHD that uses a, a tablet or a smartphone. So, um, so that's sort of interesting. And I'll do some more research into that. Maybe we could talk about that down mm-hmm. the road. But, mm-hmm. but I will continue the story in that then yeah. we had a child that was becoming of the age where all her friends started to get smartphones. Mm. And um, so then we had to sort of make that decision about, you know, which direction we were going to go. And I will say that I'm very lucky in that I have a husband who yeah. is, is think, feels the same way, has the same um, thoughts about smartphones as I do. And so, um, so that makes it a lot easier for us in our home. And so when that discussion started to happen amongst the friends, it was probably like fifth grade ish. That's around when most of the kids in our community start to get smartphones. Right. We sat down with our daughter and just said, you know, we are, we will never buy you a smartphone. I'm not (laughs) going to be responsible for paying for something and handing you something that can cause significant problems with your brain, with your social functioning, with your inability to have um, the necessary brain pathways to make, you know, face-to-face connections. Mm-hmm. And she kind of looked at me and was like, oh, okay, you know. And so then there was some, you know, discussion over the following years about, you know, so-and-so has his iPhone, everyone has an iPhone, you know, whatever. And I just, so we're not doing it. 
And our kids know now, like that is never something we will do. But, you know, and I also say like, we, we don't do lots of TV. We don't do video game. You know, we don't do any of those things because I think that kids need to learn how to um, entertain themselves. And we tell our kids all the time and I tell families, boredom is exercise for your brain. Mm -hmm. So you need to be bored. You've got to learn how to entertain yourself, so to say, with being creative and smartphones definitely cut that off. And so with anything, there's good and bad about all the things, you know, and so there are some positives and we can talk, you know, on this podcast or later about, okay, so here's the reasons that we think smartphones are helpful. And what do we do about that? How do we find a different pathway, a different device or technology or, you know, relationship to fill in those gaps? Well, yeah, I definitely want to dive in a little more on that as far as, you know, the pros and cons for everything, but, but I'm still super fascinated over your ability to just say no. And, you know, in the article, it, it says you made the decision, not her kids, you know, not my kids basically. Mm -hmm. And it was so funny when I read that in this article, because a lot of times when you hear not my kids, it's kind of a parent thinking, um, oh, my kids would never, you know, look at porn or, you know, not my kids, you know, and it was so funny when I read that, I thought, oh my gosh, not her kids. When I read that quote, and it just was referring to the fact that your kids are not going to get this and get these devices. And I Mm -hmm. feel the same way. Of course, I am so in that same camp, but it took a really hard conflict in our home for me to get there. So Mm -hmm. I am so excited for your kids that they didn't have to go through that. And I'm just amazed at how you were able to just take a stand. And I, and I do think it was the education you had, right. It was easy probably for you to, to draw the conclusions, you know, much quicker than average. Well, you know, um, poet and author, Maya Angelou, she said, do the best you can until you know better. Mm. And when you know better, do better. Right. And so I, learned years ago to know better and that it gives me the conviction that I need to do better for my kids and Mm -hmm. I hope all of this for their friends for my patients for you know all these kids I don't know and so I could see the writing on the wall when we would go out to restaurants and you would look around you know when I was a kid and you went to the restaurant to a restaurant it was bubbling you know, people were talking to each other and looking each other in the eye yes. and having yes. conversations and laughing. And now when you go to a restaurant, you look around, people are staring at their phones and, and minimally interacting with each other. Um, and it, it leads to a sense of isolation because mm-hmm. everyone's in their own seat doing their own thing and there's less of this interaction. And, you know, I think I, I tell my kids all the time that they suffer from having a mom as a psychiatrist, that's a psychiatrist. <laughs> um, and I say that laughingly, but I think it's actually a benefit to them because I'm seeing down the road what happens when a 10 year old gets a smartphone. And by the time they're 14, they've developed an eating disorder because they see themselves through how people respond to their Instagram posts. And it just breaks my heart. And so that's why I said, not my children. Now, they're going to have their own issues. You know, I mean, they're kids and they're you know, going to sure. be teenagers and they're going to have their own things. And they're going to yeah. go to a friend's house and they're going to see stuff on a smartphone I don't want them to see. Mm-hmm. 
And that's mm-hmm. what I wish we didn't have to do. I wish we could all come together as parents and say, 18, we're not yeah. going to, they don't need these devices till they can just make that decision as an adult for themselves. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we, if we could do that? And that is what we're trying to do with Screen Strong. Yeah. We're actually trying to create these communities where parents can come together, you know, just like you. I, I love that you just said that they're, that you're, they're, your kids, that it's a big blessing for them that you were a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. And so I, I want everybody out there listening to understand how today it is more important for us to really understand some of the science behind this, because no longer can we parent in this vacuum of not knowing this information. It's very difficult to make these hard decisions when you don't have the science. And the reason why Dr. Stacy has been so successful in her own home with this is because she is very educated on the science. And, you know, when our moms were raising us, they just opened the screen door and we all ran out in the backyard and we couldn't come home. I really remember this. We couldn't come home till the streetlights were on. And I know that sounds crazy. Same in my neighborhood. Don't they come did. home till the streetlights are yeah. on. Yeah. And that's yeah. how we knew that it was time to come home. And then we had dinner. We, we did have dinner. We um, always had dinner as a family. That was another thing. But our mamas didn't understand the science. They didn't have to understand the science. We just naturally did the thing that was developing our brain. And I remember all the forts that we built and um, we lived in Florida, so we could be out a lot later, I guess, or, you know, at least through the gear because it wasn't so cold, but we rode our bikes everywhere. We made all sorts of um, forts in the trees as well as like these weird underground kind of forts. It's kind of strange and very dangerous when I think about what we did, <laughs> but but um, I think it created a lot of grit in us. But our parents didn't have to read medical articles about anything really back then mm-hmm. as far as our play went. And today it's just so frustrating because the media and all of our culture and all of our friends you know, they just tell us all these myths. And I want to talk about those in our, in our part two, because we're going to have a part two with you. Um, But I just think that your background, you bring such a rich knowledge bank to this issue. And I'm so excited for people to be able to hear your story and to hear more about that. So let, I want to talk about a couple things. And again, when I'm looking at this article, as I continue to read through this, um, you also have the advantage of sitting with patients every week, right? Who are, who are struggling with anxiety or depression, um, or like you said, the ADHD and and they just can't fathom cutting back on their smartphones. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so talk to us about that. Bring us into that scenario of a typical patient, you know, of course, without, you know, any names or anything, of course, but um, just kind of talk about in general, what that's like when you have uh, what you see present in your office, as far as maybe um, the age of maybe some of the first time problems that come. Sure. You know, I usually find um, that they present to me and, and keep in mind, I'm a specialist. So a lot of these kids will go to their pediatrician first, but Around 14, 15 years old is kind of when I start to see this happen. And that's when a lot of parents, you know, it's this eighth grade thing. They let their kids have phones. They let they, yeah. they let them have social media and they try to restrict it. But these kids are very smart. Yes. And so they, they can find ways around it. And um, 
usually I'll be honest with you, what I see is anxiety and there is science to back that, that these devices cause anxiety um, or depression and the anxiety usually comes first. And if you think about that, we are not meant to have this much input. So we're not meant to be able to uh, process this much information. Mm -hmm. So when you're scrolling through, we'll just use Instagram because it's very easily scrolled and it's pictures. We're not meant to be able to take in that much information all at once. So it used to be we lived in small tribes of humans lived together and you knew maybe 20, 30 people and you knew what was going on with that group. And so that's mm -hmm. what the brain really is developed. Geared. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so then when you start to have, I mean, I have one patient who's in the ninth grade that has 3,400 Instagram followers. Oh. So, um, and, and likely follows that many as well. And so how can one child's brain, I mean, keep in mind, the brain is not fully developed till around 25 years old. So right. we're still 10 years away yes. from full neuronal development. And they are taking in all of this information. Of course, they're going to feel jealous. So-and-so looks cuter in their dress or, you know, this person mm -hmm. is having a better meal than me or so-and-so just got a new puppy and I've always wanted a puppy, but we can't get one. Or they got a new job at the cookie place and I wish I could work at the, I mean, it's just mm -hmm. on and on and on and on. And so it mm -hmm. used to be if so-and-so got a new car, you would know they got a new car because you would see them driving their new car or they would tell you about it. Now you see it and you see this, you know, amazing presentation of how they got a new car or, you know, they, they went shopping or look at all the places they went and things they did and people are using filters and I don't look as good as them. I mean, everyone knows all of this because they see it. Mm -hmm. um, and so every time what we do is we check our screen time. Okay. How much time are you spending on your screens? It's, it's never less than seven hours. I mean, it's always wow. a ridiculous amount of time. I mean, they're wow. spending as much time on their phones as they are sleeping a lot of times more because more. they're doing it at night. Um, you know, and the parents start with, Oh, we're going to take their phones at night and we're going to plug them in, in our room. That never lasts because the parents are busy enough as it is to have to be, you know, uh, monitoring someone else's device use. And so I appreciate that parents go into it with that mindset, but I want parents to know that it's the rare family that's able to keep up with all those restrictions that they feel they're going to set on a child's smartphone. And even with the restrictions, so there's two major things, right? It's time spent and it's content. So right. even if you, I mean, that's the two umbrellas for this problem. So even if you restrict to a few hours a day, you're still getting a few hours a day of horrible content usually. And, and when I say horrible content, I mean, not just the adult type, you know, content, which I still don't know why they call it adult content because adults shouldn't be looking at this stuff either. But um, you're all, you're getting this type of thing that you, you're, you're just describing the new puppy, the new job, the new clothes, that is toxic content for this well, age. and you know, people say, oh, well, they're just watching cute little videos, but a study in, um, there's a journal called child development and they had a study in that journal that showed that nighttime use of a cell phone increases both anxiety and depression in teenagers and reduces self-esteem regardless of what they're doing on their phone. Wow. Regardless. Just so are the they on actual social media. Are they right. looking at pictures of puppies? Are they checking the weather in Paris? Are they, it didn't matter what they were doing. And, and part of the reason for that is because our brains get 
exhausted at night mm-hmm. and your guard goes down in mm-hmm. general. So you, you typically teenagers will get into more, um, you know, toxic content at night, but you're saying that it doesn't really even matter, even if it's just puppies. That's what this study in child yeah. development said did not matter what they were doing. I tell every single one of my patients that it mm-hmm. does not matter what you're doing because there's this fallacy that, well, they're just looking at, you know, fun stuff. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It's the device itself that's causing problems. And they, another study that's a, a bit old, I think it was from 17, showed that um, frequent checking of social media is more damaging than the actual time spent. Mm-hmm. And so as a parent, if you're just looking at your kid's screen time, you don't know how often they're picking it up and looking at it just for a second or two. And that was actually found to lead to a higher chance of depression, wow. checking, checking it often. And I even have had kids that have hallucinations of their phone going off oh, because yeah. they use it so much and they're anticipating that, buzzing feeling in their pocket that yeah, they phantom feel that. phone something. Yeah, or, yeah. Yeah. It's phantom. They feel that it's like, it's a hallucination. I think adults have that too. I've talked to Oh yeah. Them. Oh yeah. This isn't, this isn't specific to children, but um, you know, if we can delay this as much as we can, we're helping their brains grow and develop as they should. So the frequent checking, this is really fascinating because one of our tips that we, we say to parents, and I've been saying this forever that, that if no child needs a smartphone, if you want to have a family social media account, like the Smith family, Instagram or whatever, Mm -hmm. do that, but only allow like 10 minutes a day, you look at it and that's it. It's not accessed all day long. You know, it's used Mm -hmm. more like a tool. So that's really fascinating when you said the frequency of the checking. And of course, when, when a girl, especially because boys, I mean, honestly, my boys don't have smartphones. They have gab phones, but they like still lose those phones. Right. But, um, Mm -hmm. they leave them everywhere, but girls do not lose their phones. Mm -hmm. Um, girls have these phones Velcro to their body. So, um, it is a constant checking. The other thing that, that, you know, we're just setting them up for failure, uh, with Mm -hmm. that. But the other thing I wanted to say, when you were just mentioning about at night, and what happens at night, I think it's really interesting because a lot of phone use is, of course, during the day. But I, I do agree with you that there's a lot more damage that's done at night. And so parents always say, well, we have a rule that there we don't allow phones in the bedroom. Well, I have four children. You have four children. We have eight kids between the two of us. And if mm-hmm. we added up all the hours and the years of parenting, if you you know add all that up, we have lots of years of parenting. And I'm sure you will agree. I haven't asked you this question yet, but I'm sure you will agree that that is a myth that if you have a phone, you can keep it out of the bedroom. I do not believe, and I, and I love you guys out there listening and I'm, I'm not trying to be ugly, but I just don't believe that if your teenager has a phone that you can keep it out of the bedroom, period. It will be in the, it may not be the first day you get it, but it is impossible for parents to regulate where they're, their kids take their phones. It's a hundred percent. And this is no judgment. I'm not judging any other parents who have that rule and think, well, that's how we're going to keep our kids safe. But think about anything, you know, it's like no eating in the living room. Let's only in the (laughs) kitchen. I mean, come on, we can't, you know, or don't, um, don't ride your bike without shoes on. I mean, just whatever it is, you can only (laughs) stick to those things for so long and you can't keep these phones out of their bedroom. I mean, the pull to these devices is unbelievable. 
And so uh, if they have it, it will be in their bedroom. So just get that out of our head that we think that we, we, we have these rules sometime as parents that we just love to repeat the rules and they just sound so great. And we think we're doing this stuff, but we're not doing it. Right. Yeah. Like we feel like we are, but just cause you think that that's your rule doesn't mean that, mm-hmm. that you're really doing it. The other thing that I wanted to bring up when you, you were talking about the seven or eight hours, uh, nine hours, um, a day, that is the equivalent of a full-time job. And when you think about the stress um, that adults that we have in keeping full-time jobs, you know, there's a reason why children don't have full-time jobs. They cannot handle the stress. And so when your child has social media or when they're playing video games and treating it just it's kind of the same kind of parallel issues, you know, they're very much similar mm-hmm. with what they do to the brain. But when you think about getting your 10-year-old or your, your even your eighth grader a phone, you are introducing actually many more hours in a full-time job because they, they will feel like they are on stage. They will feel like that this is their job for some reason. Um, of course we know the reason they're trying to fit in and they're trying to be like everybody else, but they, you are putting them on a treadmill and, and just a mat, you know how hard it is for us to keep up with all of our emails and all the stuff we have to do online, imagine being 14 and trying to do this. Well, and that speaks to authenticity, which is something I talk to my young patients about, about how having a smartphone and being on social media really limits your ability to be authentic Mm. because there's all this pressure to be someone that you're not, or be like this person or be included in this or that. And I also want to speak to something you um, touched on in that last sentence was about access to your child. So how many of us would just drop our kid off in downtown New York city alone? Okay. And let anyone have access to them. Right. So that's an extreme example. Like we limit access to our children. We decide what school they attend. We decide where they go to dance class. We decide what sports teams they play on. We decide who, who drives them here and there. Why on earth would you allow the world access to your child through the smartphone? So that it just, it's just a way for, um, it's a pathway for allowing significant outside influence that you would not allow in any other situation. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we forget about that, that, that we think a lot about what our children are doing on the phone. Like, oh, well, they wouldn't do that. Or they're just looking at videos of dogs or they're just watching YouTube and doing, you know, learning how to, you know, bowl a strike or, I mean, whatever it is, but Mm -hmm. we forget that these devices work the other direction. So Mm -hmm. there are millions of people out there that can gain access. Yeah. And when they gain access to your child, there is a a division. It's the separation from their attachment to you, the more influence they have on the outside. And we are not here talking about normal independence in children. We're talking about, it is not normal for nine hours a day for a child to be exposed to other influences that you know nothing about. Well, and and outside of the actual mental health effects of being on social media or being on YouTube or the internet, what we're, what we don't talk enough about and emphasize enough is that these kids are not getting enough sleep. Mm -hmm. So in order to sleep, I mean, in order to have healthy mental health, kids have got to get enough sleep and 
teenagers in particular have this increased need for hours of sleep. So, you know, babies have to sleep a lot of hours and then it gets less. But then when they get into their teenage years, they're growing at such a rapid rate. Their brains are changing. They have hormonal changes, physiological changes. They need sleep and they're not getting it. They're not. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, there's kids up on social media on their phones. Well, after midnight, they have to get up at six o'clock the next morning. Six hours of sleep every Mm -hmm. night for a teenager is not going to cut it. It's just not. It's terrible. And my daughter was in gymnastics, as many people in our audience know. And I was the uh, chaperone mom many times for trips, right? So I would be in a hotel room with four gymnasts, teenage girls, and my daughter didn't have a phone. And and obviously I was there, not for all the trips. I only went to a few of them, but I was shocked and amazed how all night in that hotel room, these phones were going off, like Mm -hmm. literally buzzing. Who is texting who at 2 a.m.? And then it would, they would rouse, they would wake up the girl, you know, they would turn and they would look at their phone. Of course, it's keeping me completely awake. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is before maybe a gym uh, competition, you know, very high level gym competition. I'm like, y'all aren't getting your sleep, turn Mm -hmm. the phones off. But not only, I mean, I was so shocked that they were actually getting up to answer things at two o'clock in the morning. I'm just shocked that there were people on the other end texting them things at two o'clock. Mm-hmm. And, and this is how the teenage brain is working because all their sleep patterns are getting reset. Everything's getting recalibrated and their body clock is all kind of getting messed up because of puberty. And now we are dealing with this huge distraction all night long. So we know that this increase in stress increases the cortisol in your body, right? And we know that cortisol suppresses serotonin. And so they don't feel like sleeping and that your, your daughter, your son may say, well, I need to play my video game or get on my phone in order, you know, to relax. So, um, we hear this all the time. Well, it's just how I wind down. Right. So uh, I talk about the actual stress. It's so fascinating to me, this whole topic of stress that is caused by the devices. How Mm -hmm. does, what does that look like, you know, from your perspective, how can a screen cause stress in a child's brain? Well, let me start by saying that we should have more research into this. Mm-hmm. The reason we don't is because big tech is um, a billion dollar industry. And so, yeah. you know, we don't um, have as much research into this as we would if it was, you know, something else that wasn't so profitable. Um, mm-hmm. But there. Like, I want to start with, you know, we've been talking a lot about teenagers, Mm -hmm. but I want to talk about little kids too, because I read a study a while back that was from 2019 in JAMA, which is the, one of the premier medical journals that showed that screen-based media use, screen-based media use greater than the American Academy of Pediatric Guidelines, which I'll get to in a minute, actually showed lower microstructural integrity of the brain, which caused trouble with language and literacy skills in, in small kids. Wow. So we, we need to realize too, that handing these little kids, you know, a two-year-old at the dinner table, watching their TV show while you're trying to have dinner, it's, it's just not good. Like we just don't need to do that. Wow. And um, so it go, it's, it's all the way back. So let's, let's keep that in mind too, as we're talking about smartphones 
even the little kids don't need mm-hmm. to do this. And it's, you know, it's changing the structure of their brain. There was, um, I'm trying to remember now, uh, the name is escaping me, but they looked at how smartphones stress the brain the mm-hmm. same way as cocaine. Yes. Okay. Yes. So why on earth would you want to give your child something that we know you would never give your child cocaine. We know Mm -hmm. that like, we know Mm -hmm. that no loving parents going to give their child cocaine. Mm -hmm. And so these devices and the use of these devices are disrupting the blank brains pleasure center the same way that cocaine does. So the stress that that is causing on their brain is unbelievable, which is why there's this constant pull for wanting to use it. Once you give it to them, it is so hard to take it away. Yeah. Um, and we can talk about that. Like you can take it away and it's going to be hard at first and it'll be great later, but we want parents to have this information before they make that decision to give them a smartphone in the first place, because it's just a lot easier if you do yeah. what we're saying and say, no, not me. I'm not doing right. that. If you're 18, you want to buy one yourself. You have a job, you can pay for it you're an adult mm-hmm. and I can't stop from doing that. No. And that goes right in line with all the science that we're, we're talking about. So are there any other just sort of umbrella kind of scientific things that we can talk about today for the average mom out there, the average dad out there who's listening, who for the first time they may be realizing just from your conversation. And by the way, you're helping so many people. Thank you so much for coming on here and share this. It helps so much sure. to have this in lay language and just to understand, um, and it just makes so much sense. So all your stories and your experience really, really help people relate to this. So I think now, you know, we've talked about just the amount of time we've talked about the stress that it causes. What are some of the other in the ADHD, the acquired ADHD, of course, um, Victoria Dunkley calls that electronic screen syndrome. And there's so many things around this, but from a science lens, talk about, other things like eating disorders, for example, how from your psychiatry world, how does giving your daughter a phone, how could something so simple as giving your daughter a phone, which turns out to be super complicated, trigger these self-harm, mental health problems, eating disorders, of course, the stress and anxiety and even the suicide ideation. How, how does that happen? It's just a phone. So a couple things, and I want to go back and talk about emotional intelligence, also called EQ. And I want to talk about another study about texting, but let me speak to this first. So exposure to everyone else's perfect life can really Mm -hmm. cause confusion for kids. Because if you walk around and look at the world through your own eyes instead of through a screen, nothing looks the way it does online. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with movies. Like you watch a movie and it's got this sort of pristine look about it and everyone has flawless face and hair. (laughs) But you look in the real world, the wind is blowing and their hair's in their face and one of their socks is taller than the other one. And, you know, it looks (laughs) a lot differently. So exposure to a perfect life causes confusion for kids because they look around at their home which is a mess, you know, because Mm -hmm. we live in our homes Mm -hmm. and they look around at their school and at their friends and their birthday party 
in real life. When they see it on a screen, it's very confusing for them and makes them feel very insecure about their own lives rather than gratitude for what they have because they can't, if they have a hard time separating those two things. Mm. Um, And then on another note, being able to form a really strong sense of self is one of the most important tasks that we um, hope that our kids develop during childhood and adolescence. Mm-hmm. That's that identity. That's that identity. Yeah. And allowing the world to access your t- child during this formative time can permanently damage their self-esteem. And so, you know, they are seeing things on the internet, on YouTube, on social media. You know, I, ha- I have a lot of parents who say, well, we don't let our kid have social media well, do they have access to the internet? Yeah. And they don't need social media because it's all out there. Someone yeah. can text them a TikTok and they can look at it on Safari or Chrome or whatever. So, mm-hmm. um, but you mm-hmm. know, every child we've, we've had problems with eating disorders for years because as Americans, we place a lot of emphasis on external appearance. Right. So eating disorders are not a new thing, but what we are seeing more is adult women developing eating disorders where there's some research into that, looking at how that's related to social media and things like that. But, you know, we get uh, eating disorders come likely we think a lot of them from family stress, interpersonal issues, feeling like the child needs to control their environment. Mm. They have all of this like perfection coming at them from their outside influence they find this need to control what's going on. And so for some kids that looks like, okay, I need to cut myself, right? Because Mm -hmm. I need to have this sense of I'm in control of my feelings. And when I do that, it releases this um, discomfort. For Hmm. other kids, it's eating and eating and eating and then throwing up because that's a sense of relief and that releases some adrenaline that makes them feel um, like they're in control. You know, we, we've seen eating disorders well before smartphones, but sure. we are seeing um, the severity of it increase with, you know, there's this whole anorexia movement, you know, on social media where people are, how skinny can you look? Yeah. And I think that that's a big part of it. So for parents, if you're listening about this and you're just kind of curious about it, I think what happens is that we become the people we hang out with. It's just that simple. If you, if you have a girlfriend, if you're a mom and you have a girlfriend and y'all start going shopping, you you probably might start buying some of the same things because you're hanging out and it's like, Oh, I like, I like that lamp she has in her house. I want one just like it. You know, it's sort of this mirror neurons that are happening and all of this uh, limbic resonance that happens and all this. Mm-hmm. So when, when young girls are on their social media, it, it's very much the algorithms are all geared because, you know, obviously social media is collecting all sorts of data from your daughter within minutes of a new social media account. That company knows exactly what your daughter likes, what age she is, what her, you know, hobbies are, everything about her. So they, so everything's being geared and it's being uh, fed to her, not in the way that you and I might go look at our social media. We're getting a whole different view of mm-hmm. things, but your daughter is going to be getting uh, immediately, they find out her age, immediately there's going to be ads or whatever you call them, ads, uh, post about all this anorexia and eating mm-hmm. and body image stuff, because they know this is what young teenage girls like to look at and they just kind of mm-hmm. gawk over it. And so mm-hmm. it's really, you're setting your, um, you know, daughter up just for failure. It's, 
Yeah. It's just, it, you, she, there's no way that she can like stay away from it. It's, right. it's, she's not looking, she's not waking up every day. Oh, I'm going to go look at some more anorexia necessarily. Now she will eventually, but that's all coming because of the data that's being collected. And by the way, just in case people don't know, and um, I'm sure you know that the age of 13 for most of these social media platforms is based on um, not maturity. It's not like a rating that would be, you know, for a movie. It's not a movie rating. It's based on the COPA law. It's based on the law that says that companies should not be able to collect data from children. And they threw 13 on there is is the age. And so I think a lot of parents are really confused because they think that, oh, my child's 13. It's time for her to get a phone. Which that law needs to be changed. And we can talk about that on an, at another time. That was that law was made before social media. Was oh, even seven before. years or something before even Facebook yeah. came yeah. out. So, but I think that's a big stumbling block for parents. Again, I'm looking through the, the lens of a typical mom and dad out there and they hear these myths and we're going to talk about myths on our, in our next uh, podcast with you, but they hear these myths, but that particular myth, the 13 is the one that just grieves my soul so much because it's right during this time that you just described that they're looking for their identity. Their self-esteem is so delicate. Now it doesn't mean that we, we have to treat them with kick gloves. That's not it. It means that we put them in healthy situations where they can grow healthy identities and they can be around people that are making them better people. Mm -hmm. And most of the time that is not having, you know, all your friends be, you know, 50 or a hundred or 200 other teenagers that that's not going to give your son or daughter a really strong identity. They have Mm -hmm. to be around adults. That's why it's so important for them to have good relationships with with the teachers in their school, to know their teachers, to know their coaches, to have extracurricular activities, to have other very caring adults in their life so they can start to get this identity formation uh, right. the right way. Right. So one thing to talk about is this concept of emotional intelligence, which is also called EQ. What EQ is, is the ability to use, to understand, to manage your emotions in a healthy way, right? So that's what we want for our kids. We want them to be able to handle their, we want them to have emotions and we want them to be able to handle them. So that's like effective communication, feeling empathetic towards other people, handle conflict, handle challenges, get out of difficult situations. So that's what EQ is. So why do we want our kids to have a high high EQ? Well, because they'll have better mental health. They'll have better physical health because of it. They can build stronger relationships, better job performance. And actually in regard to leadership, high IQ greatly surpasses, uh, sorry, high EQ greatly surpasses high IQ. So it's very important. So why am I talking about this? Well, you get a strong EQ only from observing voices, body posture, and facial expressions. Mm. What does that mean? You have to have face-to-face interactions. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to get a strong EQ from from communicating in a virtual world. You're not going to get a strong EQ from spending all your time on a phone. And a strong EQ means a strong cerebral cortex, which Mm -hmm. is the executive functioning part of your brain, which is what allows us to function like complete 
tasks, live our life, do the things that we need to do. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's really important for parents to understand like this EQ is an important thing and using smartphones is disrupting that. So, you know, there's key areas for EQ, self-awareness, you know, and they have to be self-aware in a real world, not mm-hmm. online, know their own feelings, their own emotional triggers, how to deal with those. There's self-management. So keeping your emotions in check when they become disruptive. So how do you calm down when you're angry? How do you manage your emotions um, like out in the real world? Motivated. So being intrinsically motivated, knowing that outside things cannot provide joy. So Mm -hmm. being motivated from an internal place, empathy, which we all know what empathy is, supporting emotions Mm -hmm. of someone else, being able to read another person's emotions. We're seeing a, a decrease in empathy because kids aren't, those brain pathways aren't forming in social skills. So how to deal with other people. You've got to learn how to deal with others in a real world. We don't need emotional fragility. I mean, it's become a common problem across colleges all over the country. I could go on and on about that, but emotional fragility is really a problem. And it stems from not having a strong EQ, which stems from not having enough face-to-face interactions. Wow. Now the pandemic has complicated this, of course, yeah. because we had this period of time where we couldn't have face-to-face interactions. And then people have, you know, relied on their phones more and more, but we need to swing back the other direction. I love this whole discussion about EQ. If parents understood this, I, I think that that we would just all go throw our phones, our our kids' phones out <laughs> the window yeah. because it for every minute that your child is on that phone, it is taking a minute out of this bucket of time that they should yes. be developing their EQ yeah. skills. And it's when you and I spend, you know, 10 minutes, which actually turns into two hours on our, on our phone, because it, you know, digital virtual time I say is very different than real time. Yes. because It yes. feels like you're on it for a few minutes and then it's really two hours. Um, our EQ hopefully has already been developed, right? Our brains are over 25. It doesn't affect us the exact same way. Now it absolutely can when there's overuse, of course, but this is where the rub comes in. Parents, feel like their kids are like them. They treat their kids like adults and their kids are not adults. They haven't had time to develop all this yet, but this is fascinating. All these things that you just said, the self-awareness, the self-management, what we call frustration tolerance, of course, that ability to wait and be patient. And I love what you said about the the mo- the intrinsic motivation because that is yes. one of the first things to go yes. when your child gets a video well, game. I can't or tell you how many times I have patient. This happens every single day in my clinic. I have a patient who talks to me about. I just don't feel motivated. I don't feel yeah. like I can get things done. I just feel you know I'm not sad. I don't necessarily feel anxious, but I just don't feel motivated. And my question is always how much time are you spending on your phone? It's not necessarily your fault. I'm just mm-hmm. asking you, put mm-hmm. the phone down because it's affecting your Your brain is seeking out that device yes. through no fault of your own. I mean, it's just happening from a biological perspective. So you need to put it away. Okay. And then your motive, I, I promise you, you're going to see your motivation improve. I promise. And when their EQ is built there through being in the presence of other people, that's how your EQ is built. That's what you were just describing, the tone, inflection, body posture, mm-hmm. you know, facial expressions, all that. There's something that happens in the human brain when they are next to another human being. It's mm-hmm. just, it's just mm-hmm. can't be replaced. 
Um, we know that we do a lot of Zoom meetings. We do a lot of things like that in, in businesses as adults. Mm -hmm. But when you're building a brain, it's very important to have as much exposure to this healthy emotional development, this EQ to get that piece developed. You can't overdevelop that. No, and I think parents seem to recognize that there are tiny, minute things that we're learning in every environment we're in. Yeah. So for example, I'm not judging parents that do this, this happens, but I have a child that plays competitive basketball, right? So we go to these tournaments and they last all day long. And, you know, we sometimes make our other kids go and there's other families there. And I will see a child who's there with their, their sibling who walks in the door on a device goes to numerous gyms all day where numerous games are going on and is staring at that device the entire time. And I know how parents do it. You know, everyone's tired. They don't want to listen to the whining. They don't want to spend $200 at the concession stand. You know, they don't want another kid to sit down, but run, you know, quit doing this. I get it. Like I'm not judging. I'm just saying, think about all of the things that child would have learned from watching those games, from talking with other people, meeting a new friend, you know, seeing how people interact out there. Maybe the, maybe one of the coaches got in an argument with one of the referees and the kid could learn conflict yeah. management from watching that and talk to their parents. So that's just a, you know, a one example of thousands of how these devices are taking away our ability to learn and, and develop our emotional intelligence. And also the ability to, attached to your family, which is what I want to close with a little discussion. And then we are going to have you back next week. So I, I'm so excited um, to do that. But just for this episode, let's, let's close with this, with uh, taking that, that child that you just described, that's going to a sibling sporting event. I see this all the time too, because we have been in many sports and many events and music stuff mm -hmm. all through our kids' lives. And it grieves me so much because that sibling is not participating in the family activity. Much of our um, family attachment has occurred through traveling to our different kids' events. And so mm -hmm. when our daughter had a gym meet, the twins had to come and they participated, um, you know, emotionally during that time. I mean, they were invested, they were watching, they could tell you everything about gymnastics. <laughs> they learned all the rules. But I shared a story a long time ago about a family. We were out in California and it was a surfing event. I've never seen one of these things, but it was a competition and the kids were all like, you know, 13 years old. And so we got up one morning really early. We went out of our hotel and went to the beach and there was this surfing event going on. And I observed that even in the beach, in the sand, you know, parents were giving their kids iPads, right? The little kids, because they were too young, supposedly to watch. But there was this one family, and this has made such an impression on me, that was there. And it was in the early morning, because this is when they do the surfing competitions, I guess, before it gets too hot or something. Mm -hmm. And the family, there was five of them, I think. And they all had a t-shirt that had like their, their name, their last name on it, like the family team. And they, they mm -hmm. called them, you know, they were a team. And from the littlest child up to the oldest teenager, they probably had like a middle schooler who was in the competition, but they were all on the edge of the shore. They were all cheering. Everyone was invested. It was the most fascinating thing. And that has really, that image has really stuck with me that 
as a family, we have to um, cheer for each other. We yeah. have to be in that moment. And yeah, the little kid could have been on the blanket doing his iPad or whatever, but that mom and that dad knew that we, this is their middle school child's time. And this is where we are all going to stand up as a family. In fact, we have t-shirts that that tell the world that we are a team. We are a family. And I love that so much because I think the biggest problem in our culture today is with the detachment that happens. And I'm sure that you see these patients in your office, these young teenagers that are just loosely attached, if attached at all, to their families. Yeah, we, we see kids um, being raised by their friends. I yes. mean, they're, they're being parented by their peers. And there's a huge movement now to try to change that. Yeah. And you are really doing your part to get out there and, um, oh my goodness, back to this article, just to get out there and talk to as many people as you can. And we're here to elevate your message as well. I am so excited to to know you. And I'm so excited to say that you're not a new friend anymore. You're becoming an old friend (laughs) really quickly. I'm so excited to have found your organization because it's amazing the work you guys are doing. Well, we need to hear more from you. So that's why we've decided and thankfully you agreed that next week we're going to cover um, some other really important topics with you, mainly centering around how to reverse and how to detox. We're just going to talk about some advice there. And then we also want to dive into some practical tips from you that you have found that really work in your home. Because- I know that we can say a lot, you know, you know, we have a lot of ideas out there and some of them are doable and some of them aren't. I am so excited to dive into just some super practical things that you can do to help families out there that are just really struggling. We have families, Dr. Stacy, that are um, new to this issue. Maybe their, their kids are just only two or three or four years old. And then we have families that are really in that hard spot. So let's get to some of those practical tips next week. But before we leave, first of all, I cannot thank you enough. This has just been fabulous. And of course, well, the time has... Me. I'm so excited to... Um, oh, we're too. We're so excited together. to have you. And um, everybody go get this article, Meet the Parents Who Refuse to Give Their Kids Smartphones. It's a fabulous article. But just before we sign off, I would love for you to give the parents out there just a word of encouragement. You are um, they're idle right now. <laughs> You're that mom who is doing it. You are doing what they want to do. They want to be able to not have these phones interfere with their parenting and with their kids' development. And you have said no, and you are standing up for your kids. So if we were in a big auditorium and we had hundreds of families that were just really hurting, what what final words of encouragement can you offer that family you know, who's my really struggling. mission and message for parents is you don't have to do this. You don't have to give your child a smartphone. You don't, it, no, you don't have to do it. There's pressure out there to do it. If you've given them one already, you can take it away and they your kids are not going to be just fine. They're going to be better for it. So mm-hmm. you do not have to do this. And we're here to support you in that. Thank you so much, boy. Thanks for having me. You are echoing everything about Screen Strong. We are so excited to have this community and to have this discussion. And we know even just this podcast, Dr. Stacey, just this podcast 
is huge. It's such a big help for that mom that just heard what you just said, because we cannot do this by ourselves. And most of the time, many of us just need to hear one other person say it's okay. Yes. So thank you for giving us permission. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> okay. We will talk to you next week. I hope you all enjoyed listening today. Our parent online course is available now. So start planning your small group to create your tribe. As Dr. Stacy said, you just need a small tribe. We don't need hundreds of people in our tribe. We just need our kids to be surrounded with the right influences though. You can do the 30 day detox. It's available through that course as well. And join the Screen Strong Families Facebook group. If you have not joined our community, get on our website, get on our mailing list. You will find support from other parents just like you and stay tuned for our new online forum that's coming this summer. It's going to be full of so many resources for you. It's We're We're going to take a lot of our resources off of social media and put it into a forum that's going to be much less distracting for all of us. Um, If you need to get a phone, we're going to talk about this some more next week, but make the switch to get a Gab phone. You can use the code STRONG to get a discount. And your homework? Well, your homework today is to send us some questions for Dr. Stacy. You can use team at screenstrong.com. Dot com. Send us any questions you have for future podcasts as well. We have such a wonderful bank of questions from y'all, and I love answering exactly what you're asking for on this podcast. And your second piece of homework is to share this podcast with at least five friends today. Let's get the word out. We can't do this without you. Remember, we've got your back, and we are here to help you. So until next time, stand up for your kids. Stand out from the crowd, just like Dr. Stacy has, and stay strong. Mm-hmm.